we started this series called Grow in Grace, and we're in the, the book of 2 Peter. And in honor of Veterans Day, I want to share a story, uh, one that I'm sure many that stood up in this room can appreciate. But, you know, I, I think one of the biggest challenges, I think for most people, even, you know, I had to enlist, I enlisted for six years when I first signed up. Um, I don't know. But then I, I actually did almost eight years on a six-year enlistment, you know, the fine print that says based on the needs of the Army. So I don't know how many of you know this, but I, I was actually not going to any formations. I was, I was done. I was like, you know, civilian almost. I had one foot out the door. And there's this little phrase called stop loss. I don't know if you've heard of that. But that's basically where they come and they say, well, congratulations. Uh, your unit just came down on orders, and you're going to deploy uh, to a really nice warm place Lots of sand and no water. Um, and so I actually had to go uh, deploy for a year to Iraq. And we hit in Kuwait, because that's where we kind of staged and then went north. But we hit there on January 12th of 2005. I was supposed to be out January 14th of 2005. And so I got the privilege to serve a year. And then while I was there, I was able to be promoted. And so I got, had to extend for that. So anyway, I did almost eight years on a six-year enlistment. But I think the hardest thing, though, I think for most people about enlisting and going into the service, and everybody kind of shudders, is thinking about basic training, right? Because you are, you do not know what is coming. You've seen all the movies, you've heard the horror stories, you know, and just people are not nice there, right? Um, and so one of the high points, sarcastically, the low, I mean, it was, a, it was probably the most challenging because, you know, I was in pretty good shape. I'd been playing soccer, gone to college to play soccer, and so... If you're athletically can kind of can go, you, you do all right, because a lot of things are just physical demand, mostly. Well, we came to the day where we were going to go to the gas chamber, okay? Not the one that kills you, this, the gas chamber that's, you know, you go in there because you're going to, they want you to um, experience what this feels like, right? How many missed, yeah, you guys, okay, you got that. How many would love for that experience, right? Exactly, Right. And so we, um, that day came, and honestly, that was probably the day that I was just like, man, I do not want to be here, you know? And so we got there, and it's this little cement hut in the middle of the woods, you know? And it's just, you see, you know, just everybody's kind of waiting. Everybody has the same look on their face of sheer terror. And so we don't know what's coming. And so you put on your gas mask and everything else, and you walk into this room, and it's, I swear they do this on purpose. It's all, it's dark in there. I think there was like one light bulb. I'm pretty sure it was like swinging slowly and making sound like, and some like mad scientist looking guy, this old man was sitting over this thing with no mask on, making this stuff. So he just lives this, you know, he's just used to it. And so it's just all cloudy, you know, and you just, you're, you're lined up, you got to walk along the wall and you stand there and you turn. And it's like, all right, I've got my gas mask on. This is cool. It's no problem. And so then what they do, they do this really fun thing, right? And they say, okay, now you're going to remove your gas mask. But I don't want to remove my gas mask. <laughs> I am fine right where I'm at. This is good. And so they want you to do it. And so you, you got to take off your gas mask, and then they walk down the line, right? So when the drill sergeant stands in front of you, uh, you know, you look at him, and you, you open your gas mask, and you got to say, like, your, your name, your rank, and whatever, like five things, Right? And so they came to me, and I'm like, in my mind, I'm good. And so I, I took off my mask, and I kind of started to, like, you know, get through, like, one line of it, and then I had to breathe in. And, I, yeah, right? 
And so I'm like, I'm like, and, and I'm like, I'm kind of like bent over more just trying to breathe because you can't breathe. You're trying to like, and so everything's burning. You can't breathe. And here I was fine, but out here I was not. And they have people freak out, right? People will bolt for the door. They start flailing all over the ground. And so the drill sergeant grabs me and he slams me up against the wall in love. And actually kind of, I think, helped clear my air passage. And so I was able to kind of just word out, like, you know, the last bit of information. And then you put your mask back on. And you, I don't know if you, again, you haven't experienced this, but every bit of juice that's in your head is coming out in every, your mouth, your nose, eyes. It's just horrible. It's this horrible thing. And so then you got to sit there, and, and there's, a, there's a kind of a thing to catch all that in there, in your mask, so you're catching all that. But, and then we get done, and then, um, then they're like, okay, we're going to exit. And I was way in the back of the line, so you have to turn this way. And then what they make you do is they take it off one more time while you exit, but you can't run, and you've got to walk. And so you basically take, anybody smart would take a huge breath. So I took a huge breath, and, you know, we're trying to get out, and it's getting close. I had to breathe again, and it's just we're kind of like pushing and get out the door. And they tell you to like flap your hands like wings. I don't know if that actually does anything. It's probably just they get their pictures. But literally you have like snot like hanging like in the wind and everything. Some of you are looking like, Pastor Dell, is there a point to this? <laughs> actually, no, there's not. I just wanted to share that with you. you know? No, there is. Here's the deal. Let me bring it all together for you as I share my story and my military friends and buddies and brothers and sisters the point is, is they want you to understand the importance that your gas mask serves. They want you to understand that that thing, you may have it on and kind of think like, hey, this isn't bad, because I didn't. I was like, it's not affecting me at all because my, my gas mask was working, right? And so they want you to understand what it does and make you very appreciative of what it does to make sure that you always have it with you when you need it, to understand the importance of wearing it. And so, you know, today... Today, this message, we're going to come to something, um, I would, if I titled it, it would be confidence in God's word. And much like that gas mask, we have to understand, as believers, the importance of God's word, of the, the, the word of God, that many of us have, you know, one, two, three, many Bibles, translations, and things sitting in our homes, but that it is vital to our survival, that it is vital and, and, and is needed and it's the, the, really the essential piece that, that helps us to go deeper in our walk with God. This is God's primary way to speak to us, to challenge us, to shape and to mold us. And last week we touched on the importance of going deeper into God's word. And that's going to carry over today. Because understand that, that in the world today, you know, there are what we would call false prophets. But unfortunately... <laughs> You do not find these folks wearing T-shirts that say, I'm a false prophet. You don't find these people in the false prophet aisle at the store or in the false prophet you know, building. There's, they're not recognizable. And in fact, many of them dwell in buildings with the word church above the door. And so, again, there's, there's this... Isn't that how, how the enemy works, though, isn't it, Right? It's never this in your face. We've been led to believe that, you know, Satan is either this grotesque, you know, being and, you know, maybe some horns and fire and whatever just, but Satan, when he comes in, when he entices and, and when, when the enemy, uh, you know, comes in and, and, and we're being attacked or being tempted, it's never just blatant lie, is it? 
It's always mixed with truth. And we, you see this in scripture, especially if you go back to remember when Jesus was tempted? What was Satan saying to Jesus? He was quoting something, you know what he was quoting? Scripture. But he was quoting it and he was twisting it in a way that was not true, it was not right. And so again, we have to understand and we as followers of Christ need to recognize the importance of being in the word of God. You know, we heard this phrase, you know, if you remember from last week, growing in the knowledge of the Lord. Remember that? This, this idea of knowledge of the Lord last week. And the way we do that, as I said, the primary way we do it is our Bible, is, is the word of God. I want to share with you a few st- statistics today of the word of the Bible and kind of how Americans, U.S. adults, perceive it. This was a Barna study done back in 2021. One question that was presented, do you think our country would be better off, or sorry, worse off, better off, or about the same without the Bible? 54% said it would be worse off if the Bible, if we didn't have the word of God. 33 said we'd be about the, about the same, and, and 14% said we'd be better off without the Bible, okay? That was back in 2021. So kind of mixed reviews, right? There's some good in there, but it's also not great. Um, a few other things, in U.S. adults, again, these aren't Christians, these are just U.S. adults. Um, some of them are Christians, but the, so the Bible is the actual word of God and should be taken literally word for word. You wanna take a guess on that one? A whopping 26%. 26% of people surveyed believe that this is the actual word of God, from God. So a quarter of our the adults in America Another one is the Bible is the inspired word of God and has no errors, although some verses are meant to be symbolic rather than literal. That's 29%. So it's kind of, you know, the same. Um, The Bible was not inspired by God, but tells how the writers of the Bible understood the ways and principles of God. Only 9%. So, you know, that's kind of good news. Another one is the Bible is just another book of teachings written by people that contain stories and advice. It's 13%. So kind of mixed reviews, right? So, but listen to this. So Bible users in the U.S. increased in 2021, right? Think about coming out of COVID, probably people were dusting off, <laughs> hey, we need to figure something out. But and it increased, and it says the proportion of Bible users in the United States has remained fairly constant for the past decade. In typical years, approximately half of American adults reach for their Bible, at least occasionally. In 2014, our, our team estimated that an all-time high of 53% of American adults were Bible users, and the low point of 48% was reached in 2019. It goes on and says, in 2020, we estimated that Bible users had reached a 10-year low, registering only 48% of Americans in June, as COVID-19 took hold, we recorded a drop in the uh, proportion of Americans who never used the Bible. That figure fell from 35% in 2019 to 31% in the summer of 2020. As of January 2021, the proportion of American adults who never used the Bible has fallen to 29%, its lowest point since 2016. Along with a drop, it, 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 it nevers, as they say, we observed a modest rise in Bible users. You guys getting out of that? I mean, again, if it's okay at best, maybe it sounds kind of good, right? The funny thing is, is I, I kind of researched this a little more, and then listen to what they define as Bible users, right? Because they said it was like in the 50%, you know, right around there. 
I think they just need a job or a way to have something register because Bible users are defined as individuals who read, listen to, or pray with the Bible on their own at least three or four times a year outside of a church service or a church event. So when they say Bible users, if you get three or four times a year, that's what they're using and what they're calling Bible users. All of that to say, I think it is safe that we can, you know, take that information and boil it down to that we are really a country um, where there, there's, there's a, an issue of Bible literacy, isn't there? Now, I don't know, again, I don't know all of you personally. I, I don't, you know, come by your house every day, check in, hey, you know, did you read your Bible today? But, you know, my hope is that you're pulling it out three or four times a week would be good, <laughs> you know, not a year. And because it's, it's vital, like I said, it's important and we have to understand. And the reason we, we read the Bible is because we, we have, that's how we grow in our walk with God. That's how we are able to tell truth from a lie. In Matthew 4.4, 4, in the New Living Translation, Jesus, again, he, he responds here. And this is actually when he's being tempted in the wilderness. He says, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so again, this is, it just tells us that that's, I mean, he, there's this comparison to bread and to living and how far would you get if you didn't eat physically? But yet we always seem to be like <laughs> next to nothing when it comes to feeding spiritually on the word of God. And so that's kind of, you know, the foundation of where we're gonna be, what we're gonna be talking about here in 2 Peter. So let's um, pray and let's, let's jump in. Father God, I thank you once again for this morning and thank you for the people that are here, that are watching online, and God, that um, you would just truly open our hearts. God, we are grateful, and God, I think sometimes we just uh, don't understand how blessed we are to have uh, the ability to put our hands on the word of God, for that, that changes lives, it's, 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 it is life. And so, God, we just thank you for that. And, God, we truly pray that your word will speak to our hearts today and that it would change us. In Jesus' name, amen. So, in 2 Peter, chapter, we're still in chapter 1. We're going to take the back half of it, beginning at verse 16. And remember, again, you know, we gave a little bit of background last week, but this is not a, uh, this is a culture much like ours. This is not a happy, you know, culture that the Christians are being persecuted tremendously, even being put to death and so kind of understand the backdrop here as we read through this, as Peter, um, again, gives this letter. Beginning in verse 16, it says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. For we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the, by the Holy Spirit. So something that should jump off, again, the pages, so to speak, to you and to us 
is this idea, and, and you, you, especially when you pin it to last week, because again, this is the first chapter, it's kind of all together, but it's, it's this word know in, in different forms, right? To know, knowing, knowledge, you know, there's, there's this common theme throughout this whole first chapter. Last week, you know, we, we went through the, the first part, and in verses 2, 3, 5, 6, 8, 12, and 14, there's either the word know or knowledge or something there. So again, Peter's writing, and he's, he's trying to get the attention of the reader, because it's important that we know, that we have knowledge, that we, we dig in. The, the technical term for this is epistemology, epistemology. And it's the theory of knowledge, if you wanna define it, the theory of knowledge, especially with regard to its methods, validity, and scope. Epistemology is the investigation, listen to this, of what distinguishes justified belief from opinion. How many here would agree today that there is tremendous confusion as to justified belief and opinion, right? You, you know, you think about it and you watch and even, even like in the media and the news, you know, most of it are opinion pieces, aren't they? It's someone's opinion. You know, it, again, not that long ago, it used to be here are the facts, here's what happened, <laughs> and then, you know, you can take that and run with it and do it, inform your opinion. But now there's this idea that, you know, my opinion, I'm just gonna kind of, you know, say what I think, and it's, you need to accept it as, you know, as law or, or as truth. Too many people, like, again, too many people believe that, that there is no such thing today as absolute truth. I can say the sky is blue, and somebody probably, would not too far, will disagree with me. <laughs> the sky's blue behind me, right? Is it? Oh, yeah, the sun's out. That's nice. It's nice. But yeah, people don't think about or don't believe that there's um, absolute truth. Years ago, there was a survey given where people were asked about absolute truth, and only 28% said that they, they thought that there was a such thing as absolute truth. The same survey, here we go, only 23% of Christians believed in absolute truth. 23% of Christians. So over 75% of believers don't believe in absolute truth. Truth is, again, has shifted and changed to being left to each person to define what their truth is. And their truth may be different than your truth. Is that truth? <laughs> well, truth is in the Bible. Again, Jesus says himself, we, uh, I think Luke even mentioned it today about Jesus, when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so how do we, how do we determine if something is really true? Well, it's quiz time for you, all right? I'm gonna make eight statements. I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you eight things. So you guys got something you need to write with or to keep track of your score, I'm gonna trust you. So I want you to determine if it's true or false. I don't want you to yell it out or anything, just kind of keep in your mind your own score and I'm gonna ask you at the end. Here we go, number one. The remains of the inventor of the Pringles can are in a Pringles can. Okay, you got your answers already? Good. All right, number two, if you tried a, very, a new variety of apple every day, it would take more than 20 years to try them all. That's over 7,000 days. Okay. An adult's blood vessels could circle the equator four times if they were laid out end to end. Could circle the equator four times. Number four, elephants can hear with their feet. Your faces are priceless right now, just so you know. I know you can't see them all, but... Number five, bees can live inside your eyes. 
It's amazing what you find on the internet. You should try it sometime. Um, number six, a man once ate an entire airplane. Number seven, I'm all over the place, sorry. Number seven, John Wilkes Booth's brother saved the life of Abraham Lincoln's son. And number eight, I've been practicing this. I don't know how it's gonna go, but let's see. Hippopotamonstrosis equipdaliophobia is the fear of very long words. All right, how many would say that at least five of those things are false? Okay, that's a good number. How many say at least three? Raise them high, proud, be proud what you got, okay? How many at least one? Those were all true statements. I would love to camp on these for a minute, we just don't have time. <laughs> give me one, what's your favorite one you want me to kinda just give a little? Okay, true story, it was some, I, I read it, it's online, so it's gotta be true, but um, <laughs> this guy, he had some kind of condition where it, like, it didn't bother his stomach or something, and it was a Cessna something, and it took him like two and a half years. I, first off, I don't know who comes up and wakes up one morning and says, hey, I think I'm gonna get an airplane, right? It's just, but yeah, it took him, it said that he ate an entire Cessna over the course of about two and a half years. So I'm gonna leave that with you and Google We Trust, and um, you can check that out. But all of those statements were true. I thought that even the, the um, Abraham Lincoln one, that was pretty interesting. So that happened before he was assassinated. So, so anyway, Fun stuff, you can go back. By the way, all of our sermons are online. Uh, I would just like to take this time to make a shameless plug for you to check them out. So you can go back and watch and you can make a note of all of them and go find it on the internet. Let's come back to where we are going though. So in Peter's day, all right, uh, the, the point of all that again is, is, is what it determines truth. It's if it's real or not, if it's true or not, right? And right now, you probably still, and I'm a pastor and you're probably still saying, I don't know. I don't know, Pastor Dell. I can go with you maybe six of those things, but there's two. Right? Because it's crazy. And so we have to understand how do, we, how do we determine truth? And there has to be fact behind it. And so in Peter's day, he was dealing with a group of people called the Gnostics. They denied the claim of Christ and the coming of Christ altogether. And Peter here is combating this, this push away from truth because they're trying to redefine the truth of what happened. They're trying to make their own truth. And here's the deal with Peter's, he knows that it's true because of what he saw, what he heard, and what he felt. How many of you have seen something amazing in your life? It could be anything. And the reason you probably believe it is because you were there in person, you saw it with your own eyes, and it's even better if someone was there next to you, right? Because then you're like, are you seeing what I'm seeing? Yeah, and they kind of confirm, right? That's that, once you see that, once you see something, once you, you experience it, I mean, there's that phrase, right? Seeing is believing. And so Peter is, is again coming from this place. He walked with Jesus. He saw the miracles. He, he saw many, many things. And, and, and so did the rest of the disciples, and they all agreed on them. And so it didn't matter what the world threw at him. He's like, you can't change my mind because I saw, I experienced Jesus Christ and all that he is and does. So you can't, you can sit here and say all you want that it's not true, but it is. And Peter, this is kind of Peter's authority. And so the scriptures are trustworthy because of the eyewitness testimony of the apostles to the historical event of Christ's death and resurrection, right? This is something we would call personal experience, right? 
When you have that experience, when you've experienced something, and personally, you know that it's, it is what it is. That's personal experience. But also, we know the scriptures are trustworthy because of the tr- trustworthiness of the law of the prophets found in the Old Testament. And so this, what I would say, is biblically substantial. There's substantial evidence. And again, you can go... Go research the scriptures. Go research the manuscripts and everything that had to come together for, for what, what is laid out here to happen. It's impossible in a natural sense. But it happened. <laughs> so if it can't happen in the natural, where does that leave us? Right? It's, much, it's something beyond what we can do or what a man could craft himself. And so I just want to touch today, um, you know, in the remainder of our time here on these two phrases here, these two things of personal experience and biblical substantiation. Beginning with personal experience, you know, we see here, Peter, what he saw in verse 16, for it says, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. They were eyewitnesses. You know, we hear things about Greek like mythology and fables and myths and things, and you know, everybody's like, you know, these are just ways that people came up with to try to explain things. It's, it's mythology. <laughs> but scripture is so different because it gives us these historical places. It gives us people, their names, their dates. I mean, if you read the Bible and, and when people try to discredit the Bible and say, oh, it's just a book of made up stuff, you know what? It would have left out all kinds of stuff because it's the good, the bad, and the ugly in here, isn't it? <laughs> if you're gonna create a lie or manufacture a lie, you're probably gonna put all the good stuff there and leave out the stuff that's not so good. But the Bible encompasses it all. It has the whole picture. And again, they were eyewitnesses of his majesty, meaning they, they saw it with their own eyes. In Matthew 16, 28, it says, Truly I say to you, and this is Jesus speaking, that there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And when I always read this, I always had issues because I'm like, they all died. Because what's Jesus talking about? You don't have to answer. It's, it's his second coming, right? They're saying that, he's basically saying, in my second coming. But what it says, though, is, again, it says that uh, until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom, and what happens is, is when he says this, some of you will not taste death, the answer actually comes in the next chapter before they will see what Jesus, his, 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 um, his majesty, if you will. And so the very next chapter the next verse, so chapter 17, verse 1 of Matthew, it's where the transformation of Jesus, the transformation on the mount. You remember that? The mount of transformation? And listen to this. Beginning in verse 1, after, and after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. Anybody ever read Revelation? This is the same. This is Jesus like kind of peeled back the man to show that, that he is God, you know? And this, this description lines up with exactly the way that he's gonna return to earth in his second coming. Now let's read a little further because it's super entertaining because Peter is fun like that. And it says, and behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. So here's these two dead prophets. Hey, they're back. They're hanging out with Jesus. Jesus is glowing and everything else. And I don't know about your initial first reaction, but Peter's, he jumps in. He says, Lord, it would be good, or it's good that we are here. 
Jesus, like, yeah, thanks, you know. <laughs> kind of in the middle of something here, but yeah, okay, Peter, thank you. You know, we're here. And he like, goes on, he says, if you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. I'll repeat it for, for the... <laughs> Adapt and overcome. Adapt and overcome. <laughs> so, oh man. Let me get in my place here again. So, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And then it says, he was still speaking when, behold, another voice is going to come on the scene, a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said this is my beloved son so God the father now kind of steps in like to the conversation like okay Peter yeah we know about you we'll deal with that later and so he just steps and he like interrupts Peter which he can do that and he says this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased listen to him when the disciples heard this they finally get it right they fell on their faces and were terrified I probably would have led with that but Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. You see, Peter was given this privilege of witnessing the glory and majesty of the Son of God in that moment. And you wonder, when you read the story of the disciples and how the, basically all of them, with the exception of, of Judas and, and John, you know, all of them were martyred. Peter was, again, it's believed and it's been pretty well confirmed. You know, he was crucified, chose to be crucified upside down. And most believe that it was after he was, watched his wife be crucified. And when you face something like that, it would have to take something like this. You know what it, you know what it boils down to? Is that what he believed would have to be true. To the point where he's like, I will go to death. I will, I will, I will go to this pain to watch my wife die in front of me because I know beyond a shadow of a doubt of what I saw with my eyes and that Jesus truly was the Messiah, the promised one, the Son of God. And he saw, in essence, before he died, he saw you know, what Jesus would be, he, what he is in his second coming even, you know, what he's gonna look like. Jesus revealed that to them. That was the answer to that question and today, Jesus is still doing the same thing. He's, he's actually revealing himself in dreams and visions all around the world. Maybe you've heard of that. And we talked, I think, a little bit about it last week. But it is truly amazing what Jesus is doing. And where is that happening at? The places of the greatest persecution, right? The places where probably those people don't have access to the word of God. And we... We can kind of tend to be really American sometimes, <laughs> where we, we want it all, right? We, well, I, w I, want, I want dreams and visions too. How many have you heard that? Maybe you've said it. Don't tell me if you did, it was you. Just don't raise your hand. But let's say we know that person that said, You're Jesus, if you just showed up, if you just showed yourself right now to me, I'd believe. I've had conversations with people like, why doesn't God just show up? And then it would just settle it. <laughs> I'm like, well, he did, and look where we're at now. I mean, it's, it's so far removed. But also, you know, here's the deal. We say, we make those requests, God, just show yourself. We're just holding our Bibles that we haven't opened but four times a year. Just reveal yourself to me, Lord. 
And he's standing there and he's like, I have. Come on in, the water's fine. Come and see. You know, it's not that Jesus can't reveal himself, that God can't reveal himself to us. He can do whatever he wants to do because he's God. But he's given us the, his word. And if you've, if you've gone past the surface, if, you've, if, you, if you pick up the word and you're in it all the time, you can't say that God doesn't show up, that God doesn't meet you. Maybe he doesn't come walking in, you know, like physically and sit down next to you, but he speaks to you. You can sense his presence. The light bulb goes on because you get something finally, you see it. I heard it said once by a, I, can't, I wish I could remember who, it was a famous theologian, but he said basically, you know, if you can get somebody to read the New Testament three times, and apparently he had done it, and pretty much every single person that he was able to do that with came to know Christ as Lord and Savior. Because if you're genuinely searching and you're genuinely looking and you approach the scripture, not as, oh, I'm gonna read this three times and be done. But if you're, if you're in there, God's gonna speak to you. God's gonna minister to you and, and God, the light bulb will come on. And so it's important for us to, to remember that. In verses 17 and 18, we continue, again, we're under this, this idea of this personal experience and Peter's personal experience. It says, for when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven for we were with him on the holy mountain. He's speaking of the account that we just read, right? He's talking about this. We were with him. And so they had this group, you know, together. And, you know, we understand the importance of when we see something, when we experience something, that how important that is. And then we'll continue beyond a shadow of a doubt because nobody can, can take that from us. In John 1, verse 14, it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as the Son, as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And that is what, you know, they're talking about. That's what they've seen and touched. They're eyewitnesses. Personal experiences, those are the thing. But the problem is, is if you are by yourself, you know, then, then it becomes, people can say, well, that was, you're just making that up. Again, you can hold that truth, but for others to believe. But here we had, again, you know, Peter, uh, James, and John were all present there. And we saw that it affected them to the point where they walked out their lives facing adversity, willing to take on whatever's coming. So personal experience, let's move into biblical substantiation as we move into verse 19 of our passage today. Verses 19 through 21 says, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. Again, the prophetic word more firmly confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Here's that word again. Knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from glory or from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. You see, we know it's true, church. We know it's true because we've read it in the Word. We have the Scripture, and we can have confidence in the Word of God because there is, uh, I mean, it's case after case throughout the Word about fulfilled uh, prophecy throughout the Scripture, isn't it? 
I mean, you study the, 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 the miracles of Jesus and the things that were prophesied hundreds of years before. You, know, you look at the life of Jesus. You go to the Old Testament and track even the people, the, the people of Israel, where it was prophesied, you know, that what would happen to them. In Isaiah 45, it was predicted the temple in Jerusalem would be destroyed. This was 100, over 100 years before it happened. I can't even predict what's gonna happen this afternoon. And here's somebody predicting, there's prediction after prediction of what's gonna happen over, over a century later, and it did. Check this out. Even King Cyrus was mentioned by name over 100 years prior that he would be the one to rebuild the temple. In Jesus' day, people went after him to, again, they were always trying to discredit Jesus, weren't they? They would walk in and they would, the, the religious leaders thought they could go toe-to-toe because they failed to see that he was the fulfillment of what had been prophesied. It wasn't the end of the Old Testament, it was the completion, it was the fulfillment of all that was promised. And so again, Jesus was the living proof that God, again, was in all of this, that God was working and moving. But people were always, again, they were trying to discredit him and discount him. And today people, they, they've just moved to this now, right? The scripture. They, Jesus isn't standing in front of them, so then they go to the word, and people want to take and try to discredit this. You say, well, that's, that's, just, that's just nice, you know, warm, fuzzy things to read. There was an estimate of about four out of 10 Americans believe that the Bible was written decades after Jesus' death and resurrection. Basically, like everything happened and then somebody went back and wrote it all. (laughs) There are about 25 books in the world that claim to be the word of God. Do you know the difference between the, the Bible and the rest of them? It's simply a lack of fulfilled prophecy. All these other holy books are promising. They're, they're saying things, this will happen, this will happen. Nothing's happened. <laughs> Where we can go to the word of God and we see it laid out. Boom, boom, boom. One thing after another. You see, again, he talks about the Bible. It enlightens us. It opens the eyes of our heart. We see things. Says, and we, we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed is what it says. To which you will do well to pay attention to as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns. Things are getting darker, church. But somehow we think we can somehow carry this light or we can carry this, this flame without coming back to kind of, you know, have it fanned again, that fan of flame, right? To have it, to, to, to have it grow and, and be birthed bigger. If we're not hearing the word, our, our flame just keeps getting smaller and smaller. Our light keeps getting dimmer and dimmer. Verses 20 and 21, the Bible is unerring. It says, they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This means, again, it came through men. It has, you know, their personalities come through, but it was inspired by God. God gave that message to be written. I mean, the actual Greek here, when it talks about interpretation, it means origin. And so they were, they, it came from God through man, again, to the people. Personal experience with biblical substantiation. Matthew 24, verses 24 through 26. For false Christs, small c, false Christs and false prophets will arise 
and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. Did you hear what I just said? They're gonna perform signs, they're gonna do miracles. And they're gonna do it in such a way that, that they're even gonna sway people from the body of Christ, the elect, the, the ones that have been chosen by God. They're gonna, they can actually come in and, and, and mislead. And it goes on and says, see, I've told you beforehand. So if they say to you, look, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. For again, if they say, look, he is in their room, in the inner rooms, do not believe it. Because there's gonna be things said, there's gonna be things done. And not everything we see on TV and, and, and everything else happening is true. And what's dangerous is, is sometimes, and again, we talk about seeing is believing, but there's, there's such a work against what's, what, what God wants to do and what God is accomplishing and what he will do. There's opposition. And, and again, it's, Satan is always trying to mislead. He's trying to turn. And he did it to Jesus. He's still doing the same thing now where he twisted scripture. And Jesus responded and said, no, he responded with scripture. We can read as believers, we can read the Bible knowing that what is written within these pages have been tested and true. Don't let anybody ever take that away or try to convince you otherwise. Why do you think this, the word of God is still here today? You don't think it's been attacked before? It still stands because it's truth. gentleman by the name of H.P. Parker, he gives this memorable illustration that points to the need for both knowing and applying biblical truth. And we're gonna close with this. And I want you to listen to this account. He says, as I looked out into the garden one day, I saw three things. First, I saw a butterfly. The butterfly was beautiful and, and it would alight on a flower and then it would flutter to another flower and then to another. And only for a second or two, it would sit and it would move on. It would touch as many lovely blossoms as it could, but derived absolutely no benefit from it. Then I watched a little longer out my window and there came a botanist and the botanist had a big notebook under his arm and a great big magnifying glass. The botanist would lean over a certain flower and he would look for a long time and then he would write notes in his notebook. He was there for hours writing notes closed them, stuck them under his arm, tucked his magnifying glass in his pocket, and walked away. The third thing I noticed was a bee, just a little bee. But the bee would light on a flower, and it would sink down deep into the flower and would extract all the nectar and pollen that it could carry. It went in empty every time and came out full. Here we see this illustration and here we see this butterfly that had a, it had a personal experience, didn't it? But there was no understanding or appreciation of the flowers that it was touching. It just kind of moved along, it experienced them. The botanist had an understanding without ever touching and experiencing the flower. It would just study it, but it wouldn't experience what the flower could offer. But the bee, recognized and had a deep appreciation for the flower and experienced its life-giving substance. 
So the question today is which one are you? Which one am I? You know, some of us, again, we, we just kind of hop around to the next best thing. We can hop around and to the next best book, the next best speaker, the next best church, and we never really settle on anything. We just kind of move around. We just touch everything, right? We just, we experience everything. Some of us here, maybe, again, we, we, we study and we, we write things and we, we do all of these things, but we never actually apply it. We never live what we learn. But my hope and my prayer for all of us today is we will be like this bee, where we come to the word of God and we get into the word of God and, and we go deep into it and we extract. And I love that illustration. We come empty to be filled again. And that's the thing is we can't, just be filled all the time and carry everything with us, we have to come back to our source to be replenished, don't we? My, my assumption, my hope today is when you walk out these doors, you've been filled once again. You've been encouraged. This God, Spirit of God has met you in this place. And that's great. But can I tell you a secret? Don't try to hop Sunday to Sunday. <laughs> you can't jump that far. You've got to come back to the Word of God throughout the week. You've got to spend time there, and you've got to put it into application into your life. Would you bow your heads? Heavenly Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for this time that we've had. Lord, my hope and my prayer is that all of us would develop and grow in a love for your Word, your life-giving Word. God, we need it. God, I love the way that you, you meet us in those places, in those quiet moments, Lord. While you do meet us sometimes, Lord, in, in, in those big events or those big moments, but God, I think the sustainability comes through, again, just those moments we have with you in our personal time, our private time, Lord, in your word. God, I know that it's not easy. I, I understand that too, that sometimes, Lord, our lives are so busy, so hectic, but God, my prayer is that you would continue to draw us closer to you, that you would draw us, give us a hunger for your word. God, that we would want to know the truth of what your word says. God, that we may know when the times of testing and the times of trial may come, we know because we have experienced you. We've experienced, we've had that personal experience, Lord God. And God, we've also, we balance that out with the word and the biblical substance, Lord. God, we need both, like two pedals on a bike, Lord. We need both of those things operating in our lives. So God, I thank you that you would stir our hearts today, that you would stir, Lord, um, just our, our desire to draw closer to you. And God, I pray that this would be a church that would continue to stand, Lord, on your word, that your word would be preached, Lord, boldly from this pulpit for years and years to come and we would truly be the light in the darkness that you called us to. God, we thank you and we cherish, Lord, your word. We thank you that we can physically put our hands, Lord, on the scriptures as we realize many in the world can't. And they would give anything, even for a page of one of our Bibles. So God, we pray, move our hearts in that direction. Remove those things, Lord God, that, that would hinder us. And God, we just thank you, Lord, for making it accessible and, and, and being accessible, Lord, in such a way that we can, can just pick that up anytime we want. And God, you can speak to us in that way. We thank you for this time in Jesus' name, amen.